What's up, people? Welcome to Peter's Proffer, where we talk about uh, the legal aspects in pop culture, sports, politics, current events, you name it. And we will talk about it on here as well as answer some frequently asked questions that people have for lawyers. Uh, before we get into today's topic, I just want to give a shout out and a thank you to Gina Meisenhelder for making us our intro and exit music. It is personalized, customized, and ready just for us. Uh, we like to keep it in the family here on Peter's Proffer. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And here we go. Our topic for today could have had multiple names. Uh, True Hollywood sex stories. Hashtag Me Too. Uh, the sex abuse movement in Hollywood. Uh, we are going to touch on all of the sexual abuse call-outs, all of the stories, all of the alleged victims, all of the alleged uh, perpetrators in Hollywood because it seems like it's running rampant right now and it doesn't seem like it's all new news. Um, it seems like a lot of these accusations are coming from years past and it's just been a commonly known thing in Hollywood that everybody seems to be blowing up and out of proportion right now. Um, so we're going to talk about it uh, nationwide, worldwide, and statewide because you know it's hitting Florida hard as much as any other state and there are approximately 11,200 total sex offenses reported annually according to the FDLE so this this is something that's hitting our state hard and those are the ones that are reported so if you think of some of these celebrity stories that go back 5 10 20 years uh, only a small percentage of them that actually happened are getting record reported and a lot of people, when they sit on their couch and they're watching the news, they're thinking, what the heck? How come these people aren't getting arrested? What are the potential criminal charges? Are the victims suing them? What's happening? Well, luckily, we've got some lawyers here to answer those questions for you. Um, I'm sitting here with my partner, Peter Sardis, and he's going to start off by telling us some of the potential serious criminal charges that can come from some of the uh, alleged sexual abuse being reported in Hollywood. And we're not talking about anybody specifically. We're not going to say Harvey Weinstein, Louis C.K., Aziz Ansari, or any of those uh, specific stories, because those are all allegations, nothing necessarily proven at this point. Well, if you want to talk about criminal charges, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. The charge that we most think of uh, in, in cases like this is what everyday people call rape. In the state of Florida, rape is actually called sexual battery. That's the technical term, and it is, in fact, a... Uh, a life felony in the state of Florida, which means if you are convicted, you go to prison for the rest of your life. There are some circumstances where it can be charged as a capital offense, which means you don't even have the right to, uh, to good time or the possibility of parole ever, even though uh, Florida does not have parole at this point in time. And when you say good time, what do you mean? What I mean is when you're in prison, you get credit. Uh, they're called provisional credits for uh, you know, good behavior or uh, things of that nature. Okay, so that's not available in this case. It very well may not be available, correct. You may even be charged with something like molestation, uh, depending on the ages involved of the people. And uh, there is also a possibility to be charged with something called false imprisonment, which means that you're actually keeping someone against their will from, from leaving uh, a particular place. And when you're talking about false imprisonment, too, I know some of the allegations I've heard against some of these celebrities are they'll you know trap a female in a room or in a uh, abandoned warehouse and won't let them leave they'll force them into a corner and they won't rape them but they will pull their junk out and you know start masturbating or 
whatever, which is, you know, another different crime, which is something that sounds simple but can be pretty serious, which is indecent exposure, um, also known as exposure of sexual organs in Florida, which just basically says it's unlawful to expose or exhibit one's sexual organs in public or on the private premises of another or, or near to the private premises near enough so that somebody else can see it and you're doing it in a vulgar, indecent manner. So when this occurs in Florida, it's a first degree misdemeanor, which is punishable up to a year in Pinellas County Jail, I'm sorry, in the county jail, um, and up to a thousand dollar fine. Now, the interesting part about this is number one, for any of the free the nipple people out there, this does not include breastfeeding. Um, but when I was at the state attorney's office, there was a, a, a witness that said every time this uh, younger, attractive female would jog around the block of her neighborhood, there would be this old creepy guy that would open his door and do the helicopter is what the uh, police report said. So you can imagine what that is. And that's a guy that ended up getting prosecuted for indecent exposure, which is a real crime, which is punishable with jail time. And you got to remember, especially in Florida, these are all considered sex offenses, which require you to potentially have to register as a sex offender for you know, upwards of 30, 40, 50 years, or in some instances, the rest of your life. And uh, another reference back to one of the cases that's in the news dealing with Michaela Maroney and the the uh, U.S. national uh, gymnastics team, uh, none of these sexual battery charges or elements apply if the act that's being done is being done for a bona fide medical purpose, which I'm sure is what the defendant in that case, Dr. Nasser, tried to argue that everything that he did to all these gymnasts and young girls that he was accused of abusing I'm sure his argument or the argument of his defense was that he was doing it for a bona fide medical purpose. Now, if they prove that, then he can win. But because he pled to a lot of these charges, my guess is they were not successful in proving that he performed any of these acts under a bona fide medical purpose. So those are the the criminal implications of a lot of these sexual abuse acts. But what's commonly happening in a lot of these cases, which is why we're not hearing them in the news and which is why we're not seeing everyone get arrested is many times money talks, unfortunately. And in these situations, there are usually a lot of civil cases that are brought against these accusers and settled outside of court for, you know, large amounts of money, which is why a lot of times we don't hear about them. So there are a lot of different civil causes of actions you can bring besides, you know, sexual assault, sexual battery. Um, and, you know, false imprisonment also has a civil cause of action with it as well. Um, but there's also the one that I think is the most interesting uh, and I'll let Pete talk about it a little bit. It's intentional infliction of emotional distress and negligent infliction of emotional distress and how that applies to sex abuse cases. Well, the concept of emotional distress is that someone has either done something intentionally to you or has done something that they knew or should have known is going to cause you emotional distress. In Florida, there has to be a physical component, which means you have to have some sort of actual manifestation of physical symptoms. You get sick, hives, something like that. Uh, but... Um, you know, these causes of action are, are really the gateway to get you in front of a jury. Because once you get in front of a jury, the second allegation normally is the actual sexual abuse or the battery that, that occurred at the time. And it's that, uh, that case that could potentially yield punitive damages, which is really why it makes this so, so frightening for a lot of people. And what's interesting also about a negligent infliction of emotional distress, as opposed to intentional, as you can tell just by the name, one involves an intentional act, which most would think a sexual battery is. But with a lot of these stories coming out in the news, I'm noticing that uh, a lot of the victims are saying, 
you know, I was trying to give him verbal cues. I was giving him nonverbal cues that I was not comfortable with this and he needed to stop, but he wouldn't stop. But I could also understand why he didn't know where I was coming from or that it wasn't uncomfortable because I was giving him oral sex and things like that. So there may be a negligence component where the perpetrator was not doing anything intentional, but he still committed a sexual abuse act, which I think is something that we may see more of coming up in the news. And the reason you're going to see a lot more negligence claims is because insurance companies cover negligence. Insurance companies do not cover intentional torts. So if you can frame a case or a cause of action so that a potential insurance policy, and for some of these folks in Hollywood, these are some pretty large policies, you very well may have a, a pot of money at the end of that rainbow that is going to, to, to have to pay a claim. And, you know, some other claims that you'll see are, are premises liability claims or negligent security claims, which the victims will argue that there should have been more security on site to prevent you know, some of these celebrities or any of these perpetrators from taking them to an abandoned room with no cameras and no lights. Um, and there wasn't enough protection in the place to prevent these types of sex acts from occurring. So that's just another angle to come at it. And then again, instead of just having the perpetrator on the hook, now you have whoever owns the building, whoever runs the business. And it's just, you know, pots of money, basically, that, that lawyers are trained to go after in these types of situations. Uh, one of the interesting aspects as well with these cases, because they're so long and some of them involving underage victims, the statute of limitations is an interesting and complex ordeal, which means how long do these victims actually have to bring these claims? On the criminal side, a case like a sexual battery, which again is rape uh, to most of us, there are no statutes of limitation, meaning that if the, um, if the state attorney's office can prove, has the evidence to prove that claim, they can bring that claim at any time. Now, there are other uh, causes of action that have various statute of limitations, depending on what, uh, what uh, level of offense they are. The interesting thing on the civil side is the rules have changed so immensely in the last few years that it's almost impossible to have a statute of limitations. What used to be in negligence, for example, four years from the date that an event occurred, or even an intentional tort, four years from the date uh, that an event occurred, after that you would be time barred. But the legislature recognized that a lot of people were not coming out uh, and express that these things had occurred until after they had reached the age of majority. So what did they do? They changed the statute to, to give uh, people seven years after they reach the age of 18 to bring a civil cause of action. But wait, if you are a dependent of the abuser or the person that's abusing you, then you have four years after you leave their dependency even if you're older than 25. So if you are at home, for example, being abused by a, a family member until the age of 25, you may have four additional years beyond that to bring your cause of action. Uh, there are also some causes of action that are uh, recognized, for example, because of the intimate nature of these types of cases, for example, the uh, Catholic priest cases, uh, there's a lot of repressed memories, and the statutes actually allow for a time limit, which is four years after the identification or the remembering of when abuse occurred, which really opens it up to, frankly, any time. Right, and, and just generally speaking in Florida, negligence claims have a statute of limitation of four years. So this was kind of a way to add to that statute of limitations in order to open up the possibility of more claims that come later on in life if some of these minors have been abused as children. Um, and so the, the next kind of segue is to why aren't these celebrities all getting arrested? And, you know, are, are they getting sued? Is it only one or the other? How would you describe that, Pete? Well, listen, people are getting arrested. And this has been going on, frankly, for a long time. 
for those of us that are old enough, you remember back in the 1970s, Roman Polanski had uh, at some point was uh, accused of having sex with a 13-year-old girl in California, and it actually happened at Jack Nicholas's house. He was arrested, he was prosecuted, he was convicted, but at the time between his conviction and sentencing, he fled to Europe, and he's basically been a fugitive from justice ever since. Woody Allen uh, was somebody that was not prosecuted at the time, but everybody knows about the Woody Allen story about he and uh, the adopted daughter of, uh, of Mia Farrow, Dylan Farrow, Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby has been prosecuted. He's actually stood trial already. Uh, that was a mistrial. There are 19 people that are going to testify against him in his next trial whenever that is scheduled. So the answer is yes, people do get prosecuted. The truth is there has to be evidence for a prosecution to be based on. And, you know, for the sports world, Darren Sharper, who was convicted of uh, basically drugging women and having sex with them and raping them all over the country. And then you also have Larry Nasser, who I mentioned earlier, who has pled guilty to hundreds of child porn counts and also some sexual battery counts uh, against some of his patients, um, some uh, more prominent than others, like Michaela Maroney. Um, and, and I think the answer with that segue is a lot of them are getting sued whether or not there are criminal charges. Now, one of the big factors in that, which is a big factor in that Michaela Maroney case, is a non-disclosure agreement. Um, and I think those are you know, very important for the general public to know what they are and what the purpose of them uh, is. So, Pete, why don't you explain first what a non-disclosure agreement is and why they're used? All right. A non-disclosure agreement is a term inside of a settlement contract that states that you cannot disclose the terms of the, uh, of the agreement or the underlying facts of the case. And if you do, you risk forfeiting uh, whatever monetary uh, award you've been given. Uh, these are pretty standard, frankly, not only in, in sex abuse cases, but in, 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 in uh, litigation all over the country for all types of things. And so there, there is a penalty if you break or breach this non-disclosure agreement. And Pete said a lot of times in our cases we'll put that you forfeit you know, whatever your award was. But in some of the bigger cases and some of these uh, sex abuse cases like Michaela Maroney, it's been reported, I don't know if it's true, it's been reported that there's a $1,000 fine if she breaks her non-disclosure agreement, which it sounds like she's going to do at the sentencing hearing for Larry Nancer. So some of these celebrities like uh, Chrissy Teigen and other people are, are posting on social media that they're willing to pay the $100,000 fine for her so that it will hopefully help more girls to come out and not be worried about these non-disclosure agreements that they're signing. But uh, a lot of times there is a penalty for breaching it. it. It just depends on how it correlates with the nondisclosure itself. And you've got to be careful in that set of facts because you're talking about testimony in front of a court on a criminal case. And even though there may be a civil um, uh, nondisclosure agreement, the civil agreements are not going to be enforceable in the criminal case. And a lot of the celebrities that are obviously willing to pay this fine for some of the victims in these sex abuse cases well, you know, that's all great and good. And they're, they're calling these non-disclosure agreements despicable in sex cases. And, you know, I don't disagree that some of these defendants are despicable and some of the actions they're taking are despicable. But calling a legal document despicable, I think, is just kind of how society looks at the legal process and probably looks at a lot of lawyers. So you're going to look at me and probably say, of course, the slimy lawyer um, doesn't think that non-disclosure agreements are despicable. But the truth of the matter is nobody's forced to sign a non-disclosure agreement because if they are then you can get that non-disclosure thrown out for undue duress or coercion uh, or a lot of defenses if somebody signs something under the guise 
of coercion or forcing. The real point and the real reason most people sign a non-disclosure agreement is to receive money in a settlement. And in Michaela Maroney's uh, uh, instance, it's been reported that she got a $1.25 million settlement. And as part of that settlement, she had to sign this non-disclosure agreement. And you've got to remember that not everyone that settles a case is uh, guilty or culpable for the activity that they're charged with. The reality is sometimes, especially when you have highly public figures, the uh, just the backlash in the media is enough to make a, a claim, whether it's true or false, important enough to that individual that it is more important that the information not get out than the actual money they're paying. And the way the American legal system is set up, and we have to tell our clients this all the time, unfortunately, is you're not going to be able to go back and undo whatever the wrongdoing was. We're not going to be able to take the sex abuse away. We're not going to be able to make the car accident not happen and the back surgery you had to have not happen. The only thing that we're uh, afforded in the American civil legal system is money damages. Really, that's the only thing that you can do to correct these actions in a civil case. And a lot of these non-disclosure agreements actually have in them language that says, you know, I've reviewed this with my attorney. I've taken time to read this and consider this non-disclosure agreement as part of uh, the settlement agreement in this case. So it's not like these people are signing these blind. It's not like they're not getting some sort of advice from an attorney, hopefully, before they sign any non-disclosure agreement. And to the lawyers that are handling these types of cases, let's not forget, at least in Florida, it is absolutely unethical to negotiate civil penalties uh, to avoid testimony in criminal cases. You can't, frankly, uh, negotiate in the civil case that you won't testify against in the criminal case. I I promise you that is uh, tampering with evidence and you very well may find yourself in a lot of hot water in front of the bar. Yeah, and sometimes these civil cases come alongside criminal cases and the way that you deal with them is dealing with both the criminal and the civil rules at the same time. But if there's just a civil case going on, that's a lot of times what they'll try to do to scare or keep a victim quiet in the criminal case. But really, if you're if you're a victim of a crime, there shouldn't be anything that's stopping you from from testifying against you know whatever the criminal act was. Um, so that's kind of what's going on in Hollywood from our perspective. Uh, thanks for joining in with us, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week. And if you have any questions at all for us, go ahead and send them in to info at tragoslaw.com. We'll be happy to answer them on the podcast. 